Thank you, Brother Andy. If you look at the chapter, just glancing at it, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll notice that all of this is in red, and that's because, obviously, our Lord was giving all of these, these parables. And in so doing, sometimes when you just listen to the Lord, who's giving every single detail of something like this, you get insights into what is of value, what's not of value, and so forth. In this case, you'll notice again at this oft-repeated word, in fact, it's the most oft-repeated word, certainly the most repeated theme in the story Jesus gives of the prodigal son, which, by the way, we've mentioned many times, probably should be called the story of the amazing father. You'll notice how many times you see this one singular word coming from the Lord Jesus in the chapter. Let's begin in verse 23. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 29, the last line you'll notice, and yet thou neighbors gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Again, these words are coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Verse 32, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead. Now, obviously, the word we're talking about is the word merry, sometimes translated as joyful. It's really a great word in our King James Bible, this word merry, and of course, it's one of the reasons why the words, quote, Merry Christmas, first came on the scene in 1699, when an admiral in the Royal Navy used it, as, used it in an informal letter. The admiral happened to be a student of Scripture, as were, frankly, most of the writers in the 17th century, including Dickens, who really popular, popularized the phrase. Queen Elizabeth did not like the word Mary. She thought that it was too common. So she required everyone in royalty to say, Happy Christmas. Okay. And in our text tonight, the word Mary is very, very interesting because it's a reminder that the heart of man, as the Lord Jesus illustrates here for us, that the heart of man can be Mary. It ought to be Mary. It makes you healthier when you're Mary. Proverbs 17:22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. In other words, what Solomon says about the merry heart uh, in that text shows us that the idea behind, quote, Merry Christmas is why some folks only get that so-called Christmas spirit for a few days in November and December. They only attempt. They only attempt to do in a season what Scripture teaches should be constant in the lives of God's people. And I'm not talking about putting up lights and trees and maxing out your credit cards. That's not the secret to a merry Christmas. But other things are. In fact, other things are mandated. They're biblical mandates. And it brings us to three things I just want us all to consider tonight from the story of the prodigal himself. These things, I think, that are obviously typically overlooked. We've preached on this text probably 20 times in one form or another. What is the secret to being merry or being joyful in the Christian life? The first thing I want you to consider, number one, is you evaluate what you have. Look at verse 15. Again, this is story is given by Jesus. It says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine, and would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, beloved. 
The prodigal son was, if you know this story very well, a rich kid. He grew up, not in the lower class, but apparently in at least the upper middle class, so that he could eat and enjoy just about anything he wanted any time of the day. But here he is in this story craving. He's longing. He's waning for just the bread of his dad's hired servants. If I could just go back and have the bread of the servants in my household. It sort of reminds me of what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 27. In Proverbs 27, he said these words, the full soul, right? That was you on Thanksgiving Day. The full soul loatheth in honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now, wait a minute. In essence, there are two issues in that statement by Solomon, and you see it right here in the pigsty of the prodigal son. Two things are stated there, both of which are illustrations of spiritual truth. A, there's the full soul, and B, there's the hungry soul. One of them, the full one, looks at something that is sweet and tasty and near perfect and just despises it. The other one looks at that which is bitter and unappealing and wants it or desires it. I'll put it this way. If you're really hungry, if you're really starving, and if you, especially you haven't had it in a long time, a quarter pounder at McDonald's looks amazing. In fact, it's delicious. But if you're stuffed, and you just finished Thanksgiving feast, a big plate of turkey and gravy makes you cringe, right? The old German proverb says, hunger is the best sauce. Everything tastes better when you're hungry, when you're starving. On the other hand, for the other person who's indulged himself and he's so full, gone past the point of even being full, there's really nothing. There's nothing that really looks or tastes good to that person. And you know, the spiritual application to all of this is throughout the Bible, throughout the Word of God. When God gave His people manna, manna, every single day for every meal, which was angel's food. It was the perfect food. But when they got it all of the time, it became a curse to them. They hated it. They griped about it. And what they clamor for? Flesh. They wanted meat. And so God sent them flesh every day for every meal for an entire month. And guess what happened? Loatheth. The same word we read a moment ago, loatheth, the same description God uses there, he uses in Numbers 11.20 when he says, it shall come out of your nostrils until it's loathsome unto you. And it is then in that same verse that God applies their physical condition to their spiritual condition. Here in Luke 15, we have the prodigal son. He's hungry, right? This young man is destitute. He is far from the from the former world of all the abundance of food that he's enjoyed most of his life, and he's now feeding on the husks that the pigs would barely eat. And the Bible says in the moments he's longing, he's yearning, if you will, not for a fatted calf. He doesn't say that. He says, oh, if I could just go back to that big porterhouse. He's not yearning for a fatted calf or a feast, the bread, just the bread of the Father's house. Verse 17, I perish with hunger, and how many of the hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to spare? Beloved, it is just a reminder 
That we as God's people are called to perspective. Perspective whenever it comes to the everyday, normal, usual blessings of life. You know, in 1981, when Margaret Thatcher was offering that important anniversary of the Battle of Britain speech, she was the Prime Minister, and in her speech, some of you may remember this, she noted that of all the contributions that America, and she was, it was a beautiful speech, and she said, of all the contributions that America gave in those early days of the war, none was any more important, she said, than the, the, or more nostalgic than, as a teenage girl, than that great American cuisine known as Spam. Now, Spam, as you know, is processed meat. And I'm telling you, I don't know, do they have Spam in Brazil? Do they have that in Sao Paulo? You know what? They're shaking their head, yeah. Do you like it, Juan? Do you <laughs> Spam was invented in 1937 by Jay Hormel. Hormel, of course, the, the canning company, he noticed that a lot of the, the pork shoulder meat was being thrown away and so in, in his processing plant in Minnesota, don't you know? And so he decided that he would add some ham to it, included some spices, and then store it in these little rectangular cans and try to serve that as food. A contest was held by the employees. $100 was given whoever came up with the name for this processed meat, and the winner was Spam. It's a shortened form of spiced ham. Spam, through the years, people have added their own acronyms, specially processed uh, army meat, uh, super pink artificial meat, squirrel, possum, and mouse. My dad called it something I'm allowed to say from this pulpit, of course. But the truth is, it was just pork and salt and sugar and potato starch and water. And since then, since it was, you know, uh, cheap in 1940, five cents a can, by the way, and since it was full of protein, full of fat, as you probably know, and it didn't perish very easily, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect for the war. And so, so Hormel shipped over 150 million cans of that stuff to Allied soldiers in their K rations. The Russians loved it. Nikita Khrushchev, who was, um, I think, a, an army corporal at the time in Russia, he called it, he said that they would have never defeated, won the war, and defeated Hitler without feeding their soldiers on that, quote, glorious spam. Glorious? I mean, I kind of grew up on spam in the 1960s. My mom served it. Sometimes for breakfast and lunch, sometimes dinner. She's watching right now. In those days, you would take the key, you know, a little key, and you would turn it, and it would go all the way around to take off the top and open it up, and then you would turn it upside down, and you'd go, <laughs> ready. Glorious. Glorious is not the word. No wonder we defeated the Soviet Empire, amen? Except, except, glorious, one important detail. Because for hungry soldiers... For starving men, it really was glorious. To the hungry soul, Solomon said, every bitter thing is sweet. You want to be merry? What is the title of this sermon? A true merry Christmas. All right, I had like six. I didn't know which one I chose. You want to be merry, joyful? Then evaluate what you have. You can complain if you want that your, that your air conditioning bill is too high. Or... You can rejoice that you have electricity that some folks in Sao Paulo don't have right now. Number one is evaluate what you have. Number two is enjoy what you have. 
Look at verse 22, would you? He says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. So there's good robes, and then there's better robes, and then there's the best robe. That's probably got some money attached to it. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither, not the calf, the fatted calf, the special one, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Jesus is giving these words. Let us eat and be merry. Verse 32, it was meat that we should make merry and be glad. In other words, very simply, if God's been good to you, then you enjoy his goodness. Don't just take it. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I mean, I go to restaurants and I see people, it happened today, actually. And I see people get their food and they just... And I'm thinking, they're not enjoying it. Not really. They're certainly not enjoying the hand from which it came. You know, speaking of unappreciated foods... I've noticed in Publix, they're now carrying our favorite holiday fruitcakes from Claxton, Georgia. Mm. As a boy, Claxton fruitcakes were a very familiar tradition every Christmas in our home, and that's because of mom mostly. They have a rival, some of you know, in Corsicana, Texas. It's called the Collins Street Bakery Fruitcakes, and they're also in Publix, by the way. They should put them side by side in there and just let them fight it out because they've been doing that. The ones from... Uh, Claxon was invented by an Italian, of all people, if you can imagine. Collins Street uh, was founded by German immigrants back in 1896, and they've had this good-natured sort of rivalry for all of these decades. But it's sort of like, to me, you know, one fruitcake is better than the other fruitcake. It's like arguing over which dentist does the best root canal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because honestly, fruitcake, the word itself is a pejorative. I mean, you know, you say, he's a fruitcake, she's a fruitcake, that's not a compliment. Now, other desserts would be if you said, man, she's an Adam's peanut butter cup fudge ripple cheesecake. Amen to that, right? <laughs> you met my brother. He's a banana pudding. That would be a good thing. <laughs> but fruitcake. There's a legitimate theory that there's only one fruitcake in all the world. and It's just passed from family to family to family all over the world. So that, yes, people make fun of fruitcakes. But I got to tell you something. Just like life itself, when you have a fruitcake, and I'm going to get a few this year, I always do. If you have a fruitcake and you play, pay close attention, you'll see that there's always something good in the midst of even something quote-unquote bad. For instance, one of the things I used to do with the Claxton fruitcake when I was a boy is I would take it and I would break it apart dismantle it because the ingredients you know the ingredients are orange peel and lemon peel and these green cherry things I'm not sure even what that is and then these weird pineapple chunks no however it's also got almonds and pecans and walnuts they're in there in fact in the recipe it says nut meats and they're in there and I'm going to tell you hello delicious but you got to break it apart granted you got to you got to dismantle the whole thing that 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 brick that you have sitting over there, just take it apart and get to the good stuff because it's so worth it. I want to say this about life's blessings. You enjoy, as a child of God, not just, oh, it's the season. Okay, on January 15th, my birthday, 
January 17th, January 30th, April, and the dog days of hot August, you enjoy whatever good thing the Lord's give you, and you can be merry all year long. If you think about that earlier admonition, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb, the Holy Spirit was picking perhaps the tastiest thing that was available in Solomon's day, a honeycomb. And then it says, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. It's just a known experience that when you're full, you don't appreciate much. And when you're hungry, you seem to appreciate everything. Say, Pastor, that's human nature, okay? The only thing about that is that God doesn't want a believer who's been redeemed by the blood to simply fall back and accept things by, quote, human nature. It's human nature to hate your enemy. But the new nature, Jesus says, you can love your enemy. So why not focus on the new nature? When life gives you fruitcakes or spam instead of porterhouse steak, then as a Christian, you're supposed to do the spiritual thing, the godly thing, the supernatural thing, and that is enjoy whatever it is that you have. Look at it through the eternal lens of God. The same thing is true whenever God gives you porterhouses. When God gives you something wonderful and no spam, enjoy that with spiritual discernment. And that way, those riches will not be deceitful and your hunger is not so despised. Or I'll put it this way. When the Israelites were out in that wilderness, as we mentioned a moment ago, did you ever notice that regardless of what they had, they always complained. When they didn't have much, they murmured and they complained, oh, the leeks and the garlics back in Egypt. Who, who wants leeks and garlics? Well, Brother Remo, but other than that, who wants that? When they had a lot, in fact, when they had a whole lot, they still complained. Pastor, I don't understand. I've worked hard my whole life. I've struggled. I've given. I've labored. All I have to show for it is this cupboard full of fruitcakes and spam. It's not fair, Pastor. My other family members have Omaha steaks and crab legs and Hoffman's chocolates or whatever. Okay, then why don't you look at that? Evaluate it and then just enjoy it. Because that's what God has given you. To a lot of people, what you have and despise would be a dream come true for them. Think about it that way. I've often said from this pulpit that the smallest meal eaten on any Sunday after church in this country would be the best meal most of the world would ever have. Whatever you ate today, I went to Chipotle, okay. Whatever you ate today, wherever you ate it, for most of the world, much of the world, that would be the best meal that they will ever have in their life. You know, interesting thing about spam, it's essentially processed meat. Nothing special. However, it is special, and it's especially beloved and cherished by people groups on islands throughout the world. The Korean islands, Guam, Hawaii. Matter of fact, Hormel still sells about 150 million cans of Spam every year. And most of it, now it goes all over the world, but most of the Spam consumption is found in Hawaii. Paradise. Hawaiians love this stuff. It's called Hawaiian steak 
over there. You go over there, just about every five-star restaurant will have in Hawaii some spam dish, spam mugabe and fancy spam sushi and all this stuff. And you know, it's not cheap, it's pricey. It's in very high demand. They love it over there. It's just kind of a reminder that what you have and despise is also something that somebody else greatly desires and values. Pastor, I'm tired of driving this, this old beater of a car. You know, whatever your beater of a car is, you do realize that 100 years ago, that car would be the envy of the world. A hundred years ago, millionaires didn't travel with the comfort of air conditioning and speed, the quiet ride that you drive in that beater. So that means that for the first 6,000 years of human history, no man with riches, with power, thrones, could have enjoyed the luxury that you have right now, that I have right now. The creature comforts I have, billionaires, if you want to call them that, did not have hundreds of years ago. I know it sounds trite, but it's still a flat-out reality that if you're complaining about driving a five-year-old car because your neighbor has a brand-new whatever Bronco, you're missing perspective. It's sort of like the definition of poverty in America now. It's changed in my lifetime with the so-called poverty line. So-called poverty in America today, people who are classified as poor, they have a car, they have a cell phone, they have flat screen TVs, they have cable, they have internet. This is no exaggeration. You can have all of those things in this country and still be considered below the poverty line. They're considered entitlements. You're supposed to have it. We give it to immigrants as they cross. Give them a cell phone, pass it around. I'm simply saying that whatever you have, I know that I'm very, very, very wealthy compared to most of the world. So, God, who gives all things richly to enjoy, says, then you enjoy it. You recognize who it comes from. You don't take it for granted. You don't, just, you don't just bring it into yourself without recognizing how good God has been to you. As we noted, 1 Timothy 6, 17, everything that we have that is enjoyable, God's the one who gave it to you to be enjoyed. Rich nations like America... Countries like this have and possess far more things that are enjoyable than anyone else in the world. They may have it, but it doesn't mean they enjoy any of it. I know people like that have so much, but they don't enjoy any of it. And of course, not enjoying it also means not appreciating it. Ingratitude is the very root sin in Romans 1 that leads to a society in complete destruction. When Rome, for example, indulged in everything to excess, just constant excess, they indulged in everything, but they enjoyed nothing. Proverbs 17 says, Better is a dry morsel, a crumb, and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. That was written by the richest man in the world who saw it firsthand. People say, Pastor, we were happier. We were so much happier when we had a little shack and no money in the bank. Life was better when we struggled. Okay. Why? Why, Pastor? 
You say, well, because it's human nature. All right, then thank God for your new nature. And you just go back, let the goodness of God lead you to repentance. Remember the cycle? God is good, and that leads to repentance, or that, that leads to gratitude, and then gratitude leads to apathy, and then apathy leads to judgment. And then you have to go back around the cycle. Well, that text, that the goodness of God leads you, it just goes, God is going to repent, God is going to repent, and God, there's no need for this cycle of going away from God. Be grateful, be humble, be spiritual, keep going back constantly to your first love. And then enough, enough will then be as, as good as a feast. The pilgrim said, to know when you are well off is the cure for the canker of envy and discontent. I know that we're well off, that we're all well off. Some murmur when the sky is clear and wholly bright to view. If one small speck of dark appear in the great heaven of blue. They murmur. And some with thankful love are filled. If but one streak of light, one ray of God's good mercy gild the darkness of their night. What's the difference? You see, folks, to the spiritual soul and to the new nature, if it's being fed, it's not what you have. It's what you enjoy and are grateful for. Appreciate what you have before time makes you appreciate what you had. Because you have it now. William Thackeray wrote these words, next to excellence is the appreciation of it. Well, guess what, folks? Christians are immersed in excellence. Christians in this society are immersed in excellence as well. And it's not just some fleeting excellence. All believers in the third world and in the first world and in every world, all believers have eternal excellence. We have the eternal scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the fellowship of the saints. We have the New Testament church, our citizenship in heaven, the promise of God's word of divine protection, eternal life, the gift of prayer, a new song in our mouth, and a holy purpose. Every believer has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the creator of the world and the universe, as a child of God. We have all that. But not every believer appreciates it. Not every believer enjoys it. Evaluate what you have. Enjoy what you have. And then number three, export what you have. Notice what Jesus says about the Father. Verse 22, And the Father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. And be merry. Bring hither the fatted calf? Yes. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. There's the exporter. There's the father. By the way, this is the picture of God the Father. There is the one who shares. Here's the hoarder. This is the opposite of a person who's an exporter. Verse 25. The elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, the best, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Angry? Angry because somebody was generous? Verse 31, and he said unto him, son, look at this, 
Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You see the difference between the hoarder and the exporter? Beloved, if you are blessed by God, whatever the blessing is, it doesn't have to be money, but all the blessings that you have, if you're blessed by God, export it, give it. We noted earlier that the islands like Guam and Hawaii, the Korean Isles and others, even England, by the way, they all have this affinity for spam. And the reason is they all came under the influence of American soldiers and sailors who shared the rations. They got them, probably because they didn't want them, but they shared them. And they shared them with all these people. And being on an island, you know, they didn't have these vast ranges for, for beef or livestock. So meat was not plentiful in all these places. So the locals absolutely loved the stuff. And 80 years later, they still do. It's amazing the kind of long-term impact you can have by simply sharing what you have. You know, the story of John Chapman is a true story. Ben and I were talking about him just a few days ago, driving. He was the son of a Minuteman in Concord with George Washington. He did go west to Ohio. He did do missionary work as he traveled. He did change entirely the landscape of the Ohio Valley because, in fact, he did spread apple seeds everywhere he went. Johnny Appleseed, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. He introduced apples into all of these areas and dramatically affected history just by exporting, just by sharing what he had, what he knew. And it was really just seeds and his orchard knowledge. You would think he'd be sick of them, sick of apples, sick of being associated with it. Human nature says too much of one thing makes you weary, right? Well, he never grew sick of it. He wasn't sick of his apples, and he didn't loathe it, and I think that's entirely because he shared it. He shared it, and he shared it, and he shared it, and he shared it. He exported it and gave it away. Beloved, you have fruit tonight. You have spiritual fruit. You have blessings from on high. Lots of it. You and I are blessed beyond measure with time, with spiritual knowledge. We are blessed with resources. God grants patience. You have homes and talents and goodies. Merry Christmas, they say. Merry Christmas comes with this, quote, spirit of giving. Fair enough. But Christians should be generous with what God has given to them every week, of every month, of every year throughout all their lives. When I come to the memorial services and funerals of different peoples, and of course, now I'm sure in the hundreds, it's always interesting how it's pretty easy to look at the life of this person, that person, and it's hard not to compare and think to myself, that person brought joy to other people's lives. And that person brought angst and bitterness. And the difference between the two is really one person was a giver and one person was a hoarder. And I, again, I don't just mean money. They hoarded their time and their, their knowledge and their, their, their um, abilities to themselves, all to themselves. Merry Christmas? Yes. Merry January. Merry February. Let's say it. Next February, just welcome. Hey, Merry February. What do you mean, weirdo? No, really. Mary, my heart is Mary. My heart is glad because God has been good to me. And God's people said,
Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for every good and perfect gift comes from above. From you, the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We thank you. Thank you that we are sitting at this very moment in freedom. And we think of people now that are being still, still being held hostage in tunnels. And we're in freedom and we're in comfort. And you have fed us and clothed us. And you have given us your word and the fellowship of the saints and just so very much. And we have just been reminded that you give richly all things to enjoy. And Lord, we've been reminded by the son, your son's parable. And the words out of his mouth that it's good to make merry. It's right when good and godly things happen. And I pray that you will bless your people to that end, that we will be a thankful, grateful, full of merry church. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to say, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here tonight and I'm saved, but I needed this message. And God has spoken to my heart as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands to the building and amen and amen. And I always raise my hand to that. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, could we pray for you? That's me, Pastor Blaylock. When I say saved, I mean saved from your sins. Saved from judgment in hell. If you don't know your name's in heaven, could we pray for you? That's me, Pastor Blaylock. Could you pray? I'm not sure that I'm saved. Anyone like that? Would you raise your hand? Hold it up high. All right. We're going to stand and, of course, sing an invitation hymn. We're going to sing all that thrills my soul. If God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice. This is an altar. You have a chance to do business with God. Father, bless now the invitation. Thank you again for your goodness. And thank you that this goodness will last for all of eternity. And so may we leap, in, leap with joy now that we have merry hearts now, knowing what awaits us forever. In Jesus' name, amen.